You're listening to On Attachment, a place to learn about how attachment shapes the way we experience relationships and where you'll gain the guidance, knowledge, and practical tools to overcome insecurity and build healthy, thriving relationships. I'm your host, relationship coach, Stephanie Rigg, and I'm really glad you're here. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of On Attachment. Today's episode is a Q&A, so I'm answering your questions, and we're going to be focusing on anxious avoidant relationships and the various trials and tribulations that can come with that, different manifestations of that tension between anxious and avoidant partners, some of the places that can come up, and how you can navigate that. So some of the themes will be around honesty and dishonesty, privacy, boundaries around space how to navigate exclusivity in early dating and how to deal with your partner rejecting your sexual advances. So mismatched libido. So we'll be covering all of that today. Before I dive into that, just want to remind you that my free attachment 101 guide is available to download in the show notes. It gives an overview of each attachment style, their origins, some of their pain points and how that can show up in adult relationships. So definitely check it out. And that's there for your download in the show notes. Okay. So the first question I'm going to answer here is what drives the habit of dishonesty that seems to be frequent with avoidant partners? And while of course, I don't want to make any generalizations. And if you've been listening for a while, you know how I feel about broad brush tarnishing of avoidant people. I think it is fair to say that dishonesty and evasiveness and vagueness can be a theme there. And the way that this often shows up for avoidant people is it's part of that broader desire to retain and protect autonomy and selfhood and independence. And I think there can be a story that I don't owe you anything. I don't have to tell you anything. I don't have to give you information about what I'm doing or what I'm thinking or who I'm talking to. That's mine. And their perception of reasonable privacy is probably at the fairly extreme end of the spectrum. And their expectations around reasonable disclosure might really differ from that of an anxious person. I think something that can also happen is an avoidant partner will not necessarily be dishonest, but just be deliberately vague. So for example, if you're asking them, how was your day? They might just say, yeah, it was good. And you say, oh, what did you do for lunch? Oh, I caught up with a friend. It's like, oh, okay, which friend? And they don't necessarily offer up detail or information because they don't see that as relevant to you. Or again, that they don't really owe that to you. And for a lot of anxious people that will elicit this prodding or poking as they try to draw out more and more information, which the avoidant person can then receive as, why are you interrogating me? (laughs) That kind of dynamic of why do you keep asking me all these questions? Why are you accusing me of having done something wrong by asking all of these questions? So that's definitely a dynamic that can play out there. My advice, I think, yes, it can be a distancing strategy, a conscious or subconscious distancing strategy of the avoidant partner. Again, this is yet another example where anxious and avoidant people tend to live at opposite ends of the spectrum. Anxious people over-disclose. They give more information than is necessary, arguably. They really don't like any uncertainty. They don't really like 
privacy, frankly. And so they can really clash in this respect. I think that there is a level of meeting in the middle that has to happen here. And on the avoided side, I think offering up more information than is natural for you is a good thing. And again, it's not because you've done anything wrong. It's not because you were being dishonest, but it's just giving your partner more comfort. And on the anxious side, it's just trying not to fill in the blanks with catastrophic interpretation. So if your partner is being vague, not working yourself up and going, oh my God, there must be something wrong. They're not giving me the information that I'm looking for. That's so cagey. That's so suspicious. Therefore there must be something wrong. And now I need to find the answer and I need to prod and poke to information gather and to test my theory that can very quickly spiral into very anxious behaviors. So in short, I think the habit of dishonesty among avoidant partners can certainly be a distancing strategy, but I suppose with the caveat of it's not always dishonesty, sometimes they're just being vague because they don't think to give more information. They don't think to give as much information as an anxious person would. Okay, the next question is, my avoidant partner's solo time is now excessive. How to set a boundary without him hearing it as criticism? So I chuckled when I read this question. I think the starting point is if you say it like that, he will hear it as criticism. (laughs) If you say your solo time is now excessive, you know, excessive is really an evaluative word. If you're saying the amount of space you're taking is excessive, they are going to really not respond well to that. So how to set a boundary without him hearing it as criticism. I think with any boundary around these things, we want it to be a request, right? Can I get clear about what I need? And then can I articulate that as a request rather than telling someone that what they're doing is wrong or bad, because anyone will tend to get defensive if you're telling them that they're wrong or bad. And particularly if it's their way of resourcing themselves and self-soothing is wrong or bad, it's not going to land well. It's sort of hard for me to know without having more parameters to this question of what that solo time looks like. But say, for example, if every night they're getting home from work and spending two hours locked in a room by themselves, not talking to you, you might say, hey, I know that when you get home from work, you're a bit exhausted and need some time to recharge, but I'd really appreciate it if we could insert request, whatever that is. So it's validating them and their needs while asserting your own and asserting that as a request without saying like your way is worse and my way is more important. We really want to again, remove any of those value judgments or any of those me versus you, anything that feels oppositional or combative is going to elicit an oppositional or combative response. So get clear on the request and articulate it in that way, rather than telling him that what he's doing is wrong or bad. And also, I suppose, just as a follow-up to that, uh, emphasize why it's important to you. Emphasize the value that it adds to your life to spend time with him. Emphasize why you care about that and why that matters to you. Because again, like you're then bolstering it with a positive. You're saying like, I would like this because I love spending time with you or it means a lot to me when we do X. That kind of thing, again, wraps it in a positive intention rather than stop doing that because you don't pay enough attention to me, right? So this next one is another one around trust and honesty. And it's my partner wants my phone password to build trust but I've had bad experiences in the past. How would you navigate this? I think that this sort of misunderstands what trust is. (laughs) And I think that trust is not about playing detective 
and gathering all of the information. And then once you haven't found any evidence of wrongdoing, then saying, okay, great. Now I can trust you. That's not really how it works, right? Inherent in trust is a level of unknown. That's what makes it so vulnerable. That's what makes it so scary. But if we establish a system in our relationship whereby trust only exists if we've interrogated and if we've scrutinized and we've satisfied ourselves that there's nothing there that renders our partner unworthy of our trust. I just don't think that's how it works. Now I'll add a caveat to this, which is if there has been a known breach of trust, a betrayal of some sorts, that changes my answer here. So for example, if your partner wants your phone password because a month ago they found that you were messaging someone inappropriately and part of rebuilding trust is them having that level of visibility and you being willing to disclose, that might be a reasonable sacrifice of your privacy in the short term while you're rebuilding trust. But I think as a baseline, in the absence of any reason not to have trust between you, I wouldn't say that that's a reasonable request. And if anything, I think that erodes trust because there's no actual basis of I trust you. It's just I haven't found any evidence yet. I remember having a client once say this, quite an anxiously attached client, saying, no, I I really trust my boyfriend. He's a really good guy. And I know he's not cheating on me because I have access to his phone and I check it every day. And, you know, I had to bite my tongue and just say, you know, that's not trust. That's not how trust works. Trusting someone because you're spying on them and you haven't found the dirt yet is not trust. That's control. If you're looking to build trust with one another, instead I'd be asking, what is it that is leading you to feel that you can't trust me? And how could I create more safety for you emotionally rather than for you to try and manage your fear through control? Okay. The next question that I'm going to answer is how to bring up the exclusivity conversation in early dating. I think whenever people ask me questions like, you know, how to approach dating, and I think they want me to give strategies and tactics. And my answer is always sort of boringly simple, which is, I think you just bring up the conversation. This is one of those things in my mind where it really pays to know yourself and to know what you're looking for and to be comfortable with that. So if you know that you're not really interested in pursuing a relationship, dating someone that is dating other people, that's completely fine. You don't have to pretend to be okay with that. You don't have to compromise on that just because you think that you have to in order to be chill or to be likable or to be cool or to be easy or whatever other things you're trying to pretend to be. It's not authentic. And the kind of person that you want to be in a relationship with is going to respect that. And I was saying to someone the other day, you're not going to scare off the right person with your honesty. Now, of course, there are better and worse ways to bring that conversation up. But I think that you don't have to find the perfect way of saying it and the perfect delivery of the perfect line so that you don't scare them away. You know, if it's on that much of a knife's edge, trust me, like it'll happen sooner or later because, you know, we're all imperfect. So I think 
just trust that if this person is on the same page as you, then they will be open to having that conversation in an honest, mature and authentic way. And if not, then you've dodged a bullet or at least you've found out that you guys aren't on the same page and better to know than not know. I do really think we overcook a lot of these things and fair enough, it's nerve wracking and it's vulnerable. So that makes a lot of sense. But I think there's a lot to be said for just bringing it back to basics and knowing what we want, knowing what we're looking for, identifying how we're feeling and then getting vulnerable and sharing that with someone and trusting that even if it doesn't turn out the way we planned, at least we can hold our head high and know that we honored ourselves rather than self-abandoning to try and hold on to someone who maybe didn't want the same thing as us. I really don't think you can lose by being honest. Okay. The last question I'm going to answer here is how to deal with your boyfriend rejecting your sexual advances. So my main piece of advice here is go and check out my sex and attachment masterclass. I will link it in the show notes. This is a live masterclass that I ran about a month ago, and it is a really in-depth look at how our attachment dynamics influence our relationship to sex and how those things can really clash in a relationship, particularly where one person is more anxious and one person is more avoidant. As with so many other relational dynamics that really shows up sexually. And a lot of the time that looks like one more anxious partner wanting sex and trying to reach out for sex and often using sex as a way to get validation and reassurance and to feel like their partner is happy with them and the avoidant partner not really knowing how to combine sex and love not really knowing how to experience emotional intimacy through sex and pulling away as a relationship becomes more serious. So we get this battle whereby the avoidant partner as a relationship continues on becoming less sexually interested all the while the anxious partner is freaking out, panicking, ramping up their efforts at getting sexual engagement because to them, their partner's withdrawal sexually, they're pulling away, rejecting your sexual advances, as you say in your question, is tantamount to the relationship falling apart. And if I can't connect with them sexually, then they're going to go somewhere else, or that must mean that they don't love me, or what have I done wrong? Why was it so good in the beginning and now they don't want anything to do with me? Does this mean I'm going to be abandoned? Etc. Etc. We can see how all of those core attachment wounds bubble to the surface pretty quickly. So it is a big topic. I also did a podcast episode that you can go check out attachment and sex Q&A or something along those lines, but definitely check out the masterclass if you haven't already, uh, because that's a really deep dive into this topic. Okay. I'm going to leave it there for today. Thank you so much for sending in so many great questions. I really do appreciate it. These are, by the way, these are questions from my question box on my Instagram stories. I always get way more questions than I could ever answer on Instagram. So I always file them away to revisit and dig back up for podcast episodes. So if you're ever wanting to ask me a question, you can do that via my Instagram stories. I try to do that once a week. I hope that this has been helpful. And if it has, I would be so grateful if you could leave a five-star rating and a review. It really does 
make a world of difference. But otherwise, thank you so much for joining me and I look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks guys. Thanks for joining me for this episode of On Attachment. If you want to go deeper on all things attachment, love, and relationships, you can find me on Instagram at stephanie underscore underscore rig or at stephanierig.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, I'd be so grateful if you could leave a review and a five-star rating. It really does help so much. Thanks again for being here and I hope to see you again soon.